Good morning, church. Pretty cool. Um, hey, uh, the other Frank will be here next week. Pastor Bruce will be here. Um, but it's an honor to open up God's word and uh, be here with you this morning. Uh, he'll be back next week. And man, what a tough draw coming on the heels of Dr. David Platt last week. Uh, it's, it's a tough draw here, but we're going we're gonna to get through it. Uh, man, uh, seriously, what a gift he's been, or he was, and all the, the preachers here the last few weeks. Uh, they've been a gift as well. So a, a few things this morning, just a few announcements, just so that we're all aware of. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page because uh, God has a lot that he wants to do through us and in us as we lean into the Advent season leading into Christmas. So number one, if you, okay, if you or someone who you know is interested, if you're in town or if you're, depending on what side of town you are, or if you know someone in the Waynesville Area. A very important update next week, next Sunday at, after, the, after the service, right over here. We're going to have food. We're going to have uh, some exciting updates the pastor wants to keep everyone in the know about. Uh, and it's going to be an awesome opportunity to meet other people in that area. So if you or someone you know is interested in the future Waynesville campus, big, big Sunday next week. Okay, so next week after the service, right behind me, out those doors, out these doors, and around there. It's going to be great. We'd love to see you there. Uh, you can text Waynesville to 28282. Uh, you can RSVP. We've got to make sure we get enough food. Uh, it's going to be a great time, okay? Number two, the week after that on December 10th, we're calling it the Big Give. This is our way to tangibly love those around us across all of our campuses. And uh, on the 10th, we have an opportunity to load up our cars of Mana Food Bank, uh, boxes of food, and love our neighbor. So this is an awesome opportunity. You can grab a few boxes on your way home, uh, make it a family event to then knock on some doors, pray with people, share the gospel with people, and then also give them something that they would need, which is a box of food. It's a really cool opportunity. So that's on the 10th, 2 p.m. across all of our campuses. Uh, that way you can grab those on your way out, grab some lunch and come back, and then grab some boxes. We need your help to, to make that day happen. It's going to be an awesome time. Lastly, uh, I guess... Church throughout history, church in church history, churches throughout our country and our world have used the four Sundays before Christmas to prepare our hearts for the Advent season. So uh, remind ourselves, number one, Jesus has come, and number two, Jesus will return in glory. So that's what the Christmas season is about. And so we have these Advent journals here. Hopefully you either got one when you walked in or after the service straight back here, make sure to grab an Advent journal because this is gonna pair really well with a reading plan. And then also, if you were here for the Advent blocks, uh, if you got your hands on the Advent blocks for your family, uh, this is gonna go pair well with that for the next few weeks. This is where we're all gonna be uh, preparing our hearts for Christmas, okay? We good? Is this okay? All right, today, Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, I'm gonna do verse 34. And verse 35 is where we'll be studying this morning. Before we do that, I'll take a moment, ask God to speak clearly, remove some distractions, and then ask him to speak. Jesus, we respond to you. We thank you for your word. We lift high your word and what you are calling us to the next few moments. Give us grace to receive it. We love you. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, 
He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I have two amazing, beautiful daughters, Elsie and Malia. Malia is over here. Hopefully she is going to stay asleep. Uh, But a three and a half year old and a four month old. So you can imagine I need some coffee, but we're good. Uh, The last few years have been jarring, but in like the best way. New rhythms, new habits. Uh, We're buying new medicines that I've never even heard of, but now we're buying them to make sure everyone in our house is good. Uh, New parents in the room. If you're here, you understand, okay, grace to you, peace to you. Uh, We don't have therapy, but we do have connect group, so you understand. Uh, But this hit me recently. This is what I've been working through last few weeks studying for this. Here's what what hit me. The old me, the old Tyler, the pre-kids, the pre-marriage or whatever, the older version of Tyler, the single, newlywed, mid-20s, whatever, in many ways, has had to die. In many ways, has to fundamentally change a lot of what I was doing. Again, my habits, my sleep schedule, my diet, my social life, all had to die in many ways so that we could have these two beautiful lives flourish, right? They need a dad who's like awake and competent, okay? And who can take care of them. In so many ways, I had to adjust, and I had to adjust accordingly. So, college Tyler, okay, that version of me had to die, right? That guy had to die. He had to learn more than how to cook something other than, like, hamburger helper and, like, a Hot Pocket. I can't just wear shirts with, like, wolves on them and, like, gym shorts, okay? I have to, like, wear a collar and, like, go to work, right? Now... The new Tyler, this version of me, I get excited going to Costco to go buy pants, which is fun. Now, this version of Tyler, like, checks the weather app to see when my lawn can get rain. This new version of Tyler now has to, like, get my leaf blower and, like, enjoy cleaning my yard. It's like, older dads, I understand it now picking up sticks in my yard and like cleaning my garage. It's cool. I may be the only one in the room. Maybe that's not your season. Maybe that's not your life right now. It could be different. It could be a recent transition. It could be a recent event in your life. It could be a social group, a friend group. Something has to stop so that you can do something else. Maybe that's for, for you this morning. In the room today, Jesus is going to meet you here. In the text, he's going to invite you to meet him, whatever you're bringing in this morning. He's going to ask you to give it over to him, a circumstance, a relationship, a transition, maybe just a general dream for your life that you walked in with. He's going to ask and he's going to invite you to give it over to him. Again, Jesus will probably be more specific than I will, as you can make your own application. But he's going to invite you this morning, and I hope you'll take him up on the offer. In this text, we see a controversial 
invitation. A controversial invitation to anyone who would listen to him. He says that in all four gospels, life comes through death. Life is on offer for you, but it comes through death. What does that look like? Daily dying to self leads to a beautiful life. Hope to show that to you. Notice in the text, first, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me. Now, anyone means anybody, everybody. There is no disqualification for this invitation. It is for you. It's for you. Anyone means everyone. The call goes out to everybody from the crowd all the way to his disciples. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, in the New Testament, what you'll see is there are a bunch of groups. There's the three, Peter, James, and John, who he was close with. There's the 12 who followed. Then there's the 72, which he references by sending out and doing ministry. And then frequently what you'll see is what's called the crowd. If you're ever reading through it, you, you see the crowd. The crowd did this. The crowd did this. And the crowd has a different mentality. It has a different value system. It's a very specific culture that Jesus was constantly confronting. This is what he said. So, uh, again, the, the, the crowd is a mixture of the outcasts, the insiders, the rulers of the day, the diseased, the healthy. It was a, a mixture of people who could be helpless, could be trying to trap Jesus, all in the same area. And Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me, can I give you good gospel news this morning, Thanksgiving weekend? Is that okay? I'll give you good news. The gospel invites anybody and everybody to hear the invitation of Jesus. To bring your life to Jesus is on offer. Jesus doesn't want, to unshun, he doesn't want to shun you. He wants to invite you. He wants to invite you closer. No matter your background, your political preferences, your sins, the good deeds you've done, or the stuff you've never said out loud. The, the stuff that you haven't told another person. Maybe that's weighing heavily. Or, or maybe you're the person who's like, I have lived my life according to the rules, and I am the only person who's qualified to follow Jesus. If that's you, if you feel that tension in the room this morning, Jesus is offering himself to you. Again, no matter if you can't forgive yourself, if you're the rule follower, if you see yourself as unlovable, or if you're the only one who thinks like, man, I think I am the only lovable person here. No matter who you are, Jesus is offering you an invitation and nobody is disqualified. He wants to draw us, listen, he wants to draw us from the crowd closer. He wants to draw you closer to his presence, closer from the general crowd to intimacy, to follow him with everything that we have. And he does it by saying life, if you want it, comes through death. Death to self, death to whatever you think is important, death to your dream, to then follow me with everything. All right, let's take those one at a time. First, it says, deny, Jesus says, deny yourself. Now, in an age of self-fulfillment, self-denial feels like a heresy. It feels like the stuff you're not supposed to say, right? It feels like 
an overzealous monk, not Jesus. Listen like he'd say that. Deny yourself. First, I want to be clear about what Jesus doesn't mean because I want to be specific on this. Jesus doesn't mean denying the image of God that we have, our unique heritage or tradition. He doesn't say deny your background, your contributions, your passions, your gifts. He doesn't want you to deny that part of you. He doesn't want us to deny our humanness because he's inviting us. He's inviting everybody and anyone, any human here, please come follow me. But what does he want us to deny? I love it. Uh, One author put it this way. We must deny the self, capital S, deny the self, not ourselves. We don't deny the self, we deny ourselves. What does he mean by that? Paul, in most places in the New Testament, if you are familiar with how Paul writes, he uses the word flesh. Now, he doesn't mean like skin, but what he means is those destructive, disordered, you could say sinful desires that bubble up in us. They bubble up in different times. Those desires, it could be anything, fill in your own application. Those desires that come up in front of us. Galatians 5, if you want to make a note, that's like the most famous example. That's the famous list of all the things that conflict with God's desire. God has desires. You have your desires and they are at war with one another. So desires, disordered goals, you could say dreams, you could say habits, whatever you want to call, that are disordered and destructive. Jesus says, man, not by your own strength, but by me, deny yourself. Dr. Gary Brashear says it this way, our strongest desires are not always our deepest desires. What does he mean by that? The strongest desire, it may just be right in front of you. It may just be what you constantly think about. Our strongest desires, money, fill in the blank. That could be your strongest desire this morning. That doesn't mean it's your deepest desire. Again, funny example, but your desire for food may be the strongest desire, 10 p.m., Wendy's drive through that could be like the strongest pull for you. But that doesn't mean it has to be your deepest desire. Your deepest desire is, man, I, I need uh, healthy or to stick to your diet or fill in the blank. That could be underneath the surface. That's the deeper part of you that wants that. And right now, in that moment, they're in conflict and they're at war. Your strongest desire may be to endlessly scroll on social media looking for a Black Friday deal or something, right? That could be the strongest, most upfront desire that you have. But your deeper desire could be, man, I need to focus on scripture. I need to pray. And those desires are at war. You can make your own application, whatever you feel is the strongest desire, whatever the self tells you is the strongest. That doesn't mean it's your deepest desire. It isn't always your deepest desire to be that husband, to be that father, to be that friend, to be that coworker, to be that uh, wife or that mother. Those are your deeper desires, even when your strongest desires are just, Jesus wants to confront that this morning. Jesus invites us to deny those things, not on our own strength, but to freely lay it down at his feet and say, my own sovereignty, my own will, my own right, right to decide what I get to want to do. 
I give it to you, Jesus. Deny the self. He offers to satisfy us in our deepest level, our deepest desire. Come on, he doesn't just want to do, hey, let me talk about your strongest desire, whatever you wake up with that day. Your deeper desire can be satisfied by Jesus. There's a legendary example of this, of people uh, who feel this tension of, I don't want to offer this part of my life to God. Because you may be thinking already right now, like I have, it in my, I have it in my mind, like I already know what Jesus is poking around with, investigating areas of my life. You may have that already. But there's a famous example. It could be a myth. It could be uh, true. I don't know. But there's famous accounts of the Knights Templar, which if you're familiar, it's the Knights that went on those crusades across Europe and across the world. And what they would do is in the name of Jesus... They would get baptized in a tank that, you know, you would see at church. And they would get baptized with a cross on their robe and they would go under the water. But as they were going under the water, they would hold their sword up out of the water. Symbolically, okay, Jesus, like, I'll do the gospel stuff. I'll do the church stuff. I need to get baptized, but don't take my sword. And they would hold it up out of the water so you'd see a bunch of people get baptized with their swords out because they couldn't let it go. Now, for us, I hope it's not a sword, a literal sword. But for you, it could be something else. What is that for you today? Some of you may hold up, man, I just can't give that to Jesus. It could be a wallet. It could be an iPhone. It could be whatever it is. I don't want to give blank It is symbolically saying, I want to live for God, but please don't take this. I'm not going to deny this part of my life. So, good morning. Welcome to church. It gets better. He also says, take up your cross. Now, the ultimate symbol of torture and death. Again, before it was a tattoo, before it was a good idea for a Christian logo, before it was um, maybe something that we're proud of. To this audience listening to Jesus in the crowd, it would have been shocking. Oh, you're telling me that like the torture device that has killed thousands of people already, you want us to like take up our cross and follow you? What is that? Who would follow this guy off a cliff towards death? Why? Why? Again, this is the ultimate picture of rejection, suffering, shame, punishment. But here's the tension. We just sang about it. All hail King Jesus. He, he was laid in a tomb. He died on the cross for us. Yes, we celebrate that. We sing it. We preach it. Again, life. But it goes through death. It goes through death. In the audience's mind, this invitation from Jesus got like way worse. Okay, this is not get better. Deny yourself, I could do that. Like, don't do stuff. Okay, it's fine. But like, take up my cross. What does that look like? What does that look like? Are you saying that shame, suffering, punishment, uh, self-denial, it, it, that's the way to find life? No way. It's a lot of people in the Gospels who heard this invitation, including Peter. Peter. Peter heard the same invitation right before this passage and he says, no way. 
a king who dies? That's crazy. No way. Not if I have anything to do with it. Again, Jesus tells them plainly, I must suffer, be rejected in your place, but there will also be resurrection. There will be resurrection after. There will be life after. But it goes through death. Peter doesn't like the method, obviously. This is an odd invitation. But I also want to say this. Jesus' cross event, we read about it. We celebrate it at Easter. We celebrate it on Good Friday. It was unique. It was complete. It was in our place. It was for you. It was for me. We celebrate that. But we don't often want to also talk about he's also showing us how to take ours up. To take ours up as well. The invitation now becomes some kind of death march or or something like that where uh, Luke actually adds in his account daily, take up your cross daily. What does that look like? What is that? It's like for you and me, for Christians, what? It's a strange invitation. We must join with Jesus. He says, there is a way to me. I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the truth. But it comes through the cross. Anyone here want to pick it up? Right? That's like what the crowd was feeling. The cross is at the very beginning of the Christian life. If you're not a Christian in the room, this is not the self-help Jesus. This is not the, <laughs> this is the Jesus that says it takes everything, but it's worth it. It costs everything, but you get everything as well. We join Jesus in this. Here's the danger if we don't. If we minimize the cross or if we're like, ah, I don't know, man, that doesn't sound very appealing. Why, why do we got to do this? Here's the danger. And this is the warning that I've tried to live with. If we're tempted to follow Jesus but won't deny ourselves, we want to avoid the cross, we, don't, we think life is, can come through a different way, here's the danger. It's what Dallas Willard called vampire Christians. <laughs> vampire Christians, I'll take some of your blood. Thank you. It's good enough for me. I got my ticket to heaven. Great. But all of the other stuff that Jesus talks about, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I'll take some of your blood. This is really good. This is valuable. Thanks. I love the Savior part, but I don't like the Lord part. That's the danger. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. It's grace, but it's, it's cheap. I think I'll just walk away is the temptation. In the Gospels, in fact, if you're familiar with uh, a lot of the Bible stories, there are some very interesting interactions with people who meet Jesus. And what happens is, like the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with that story, hey, I've done everything, I've kept it since I was a, ba- or since a kid, uh, what else do I need to do? Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the end of the story is, he walks away sad, because he couldn't let it go. Or, hey, hey, uh, Jesus, I'll come follow you. Just give me like a couple more weeks because i got to finish up some stuff. Time after time, you see Jesus inviting anyone and everyone, please, please come here, come here, come on. Come closer, come closer. Come from the crowd, come to me. And they say, I, I think I'm good. Now flip that around. Also in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you also see 
time after time after time again, weak, desperate, uh, people who have wanted Jesus, not the stuff that Jesus has, but just want Jesus. What does he do? I will never cast you out. Bring it on. That's how he treats people. Bring it on. Follow me. Come with me. Come with me. Follow my example. Follow where I go. You see, it's beautiful. Beautiful moment. Last one. Final aspect. Following Jesus. Follow me. Now, we follow Jesus wherever he goes. If you were to go back in time, if we were all to go back in time to synagogue, uh, in a Jewish synagogue back in Jesus' time, what you would find is disciples. You'd find a lot of disciples. They would be studying God's word. They would be, <clears throat> they would be listening to a sermon. They would sing psalms. And you would see discipleship. You would. You would see discipleship. See, Jesus didn't invent discipleship. But what he knows is that we will follow something. You will follow something. Your heart will be drawn towards something. Uh, again, disciples, they imitate, they spend time with, and then they start to look like their teacher. Do you know what the goal of following someone? It's not like, hey, follow me on social media, get some facts, and that's our relationship. Discipleship here is up close and it's personal. You spend time with that person, your teacher. You follow their example, what they do, you do. And then the ultimate compliment is you look like that person. That's what Jesus' goal for us is too. Spend time with me. You start to look like me. And then you do what I do. It's following Jesus. Up close and personal discipleship says this. Your life, Jesus, is my life. Then you also say, my life is your life. I will follow you. That's the invitation. Uh, again, just for you to know, in the New Testament, the word disciple or uh, student is mentioned 269 times. 269 times you and I are called disciples. Also in the New Testament, the word Christian shows up three times. 269 times of being a student, following, looking at our example, looking at how Jesus lived, disciples. Three times Christian. Again, the first, uh, the first Christians, the first disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts were called followers of the way. There's a way of life that Jesus has offered to you. And so these, this label that the culture would give them as followers of the way. I don't know if you guys have, maybe, you, maybe someone here has it, but you ever seen that bumper, bumper sticker, don't follow me, I'm lost? You know I'm talking about? I see it all the time here. Don't follow me, I'm lost too. It's a funny example. But what's the point? At the end of the day, your heart follows. You are following something. Only some people are like, hey, don't follow me. I'm lost too. I don't know where to go. Can I tell you good news this morning? You don't have to lead your own life. You don't have to come up with what's my purpose, what's my, how does this end? Because your heart wasn't made to lead. It was made to follow. And Jesus says, follow me.
again, has the shift in gravity of your life shifted towards Jesus? I'm turning over everything. I'm taking up this way that life leads through death. As his disciples, we invite him to every area of your life. I've had to like work through this myself uh, during prep time, and, and it's tough. He investigates the light of Christ shines so brightly in different areas. Where is he asking you to shine the light in? Notice in the Gospels, we don't see a lot of commands. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you don't see Jesus, do this, thou shalt do this, thou shalt do this. But he does invite. I don't think I found, hey, go to church. But what does he do? Oh, he went to church, right? You see, that that's how he works. He doesn't command it, but he does lead us through by example. Again, Jesus leads, we follow. Jesus leads wherever he goes, we follow. Now, to state the obvious, okay, we can't physically follow Jesus like the first disciples did. But now we follow the spirit of Jesus. Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He speaks life. He gives clarity. He gives power. Again, in Galatians 5, I referenced it earlier. There's the long list of things that are disordered, destructive, and sinful. In the same chapter, there's also life. When you follow Jesus, there's a fruit that you can bear. When you're close to Jesus, here's what happens. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what follows as you follow Jesus. Even in Galatians chapter five, it says, keep in step, like you're walking. Keep in step with the spirit of Jesus. Keep in step with where he goes. Not literally following him, because you can't, but you can follow and see his example and imitate his life. I love the way Eugene Peterson says this. The Jesus truth plus the Jesus way equals the Jesus life. Now, the Jesus truth, again, truth, super important. The truth sets free, it breaks chains, it reveals God's character, it renews our hearts, it renews our minds, it's super important. But also, don't forget the Jesus way. There is a way of life, there is a path to follow the life of God, which then leads to the Jesus life. A way of life that we follow our Savior we follow our Lord, we follow our teacher. This is the call to active participation with Jesus. This is not like, hey, sideline over here. This is like upfront, close participation with Jesus. Again, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. You don't follow Jesus begrudgingly, oh, because I have to. No, no, no. I'll get to a text here in a second. It's life. It is not a burden. It is a life that you get. My generation, can I just be honest? Here's my heart. My generation, because I, I, I love local churches, I love our church because there are saints who have been through the mountains and also the valleys here. Many of your stories in the room, you've been kind enough to share. And those mountains and those valleys, what you're doing is not just the Jesus truth, Okay, I love the Jesus truth. But you show us the Jesus way. Can I tell you, this is the call. Don't just show us the Jesus truth. We love it, that's great. I'm drawn to the Jesus way, which leads to the Jesus life. 
Maybe you're here and you're struggling. Maybe this doesn't seem like a good invitation this morning. Can I just share with you the last verse? Verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Bad news. You try to conjure up your own salvation. You try to conjure up your own way of doing things. It's just a statement of fact. Jesus says you'll end up losing everything. But here's the good news. Whoever, would, uh, whoever loses his life, whoever denies, takes up their cross, whoever follows me will save it. It's beautiful. Jesus talks about commitment right here. This is it. Whoever would lose his life, lay it down. You'll find it. You'll save it. You'll find life. Matthew 13, 44. This is one verse. It's beautiful. I remember the first time I read this and it clicked. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, question. Was this a burden for him? No. It says it was a joy. It was worth it. Was it a sacrifice? Yeah, he had to sell everything that he had in the parable. But in his joy, this is not a burden. The kingdom of God becomes a joy and it's worth everything. It's worth everything to follow Jesus. Is it a sacrifice? Yeah. Is it worth it? Oh yeah. Again, save, you'll save it. Again, salvation, mind, will, body, salvation of everything that you are, you will find it. So what does losing become? What does losing your life become? Losing becomes not being crucified, not being able to take up your cross and follow Jesus wherever he goes. Again, this is my personal testimony. This is why I picked it. Uh, I was a guy who was at church every day. I was a church rat. If the church was open, I was there. But my personal testimony is, just being honest, is that I, with fear and anxiety, opening up every area of my life and asking God, God, I see your invitation. I'm struggling with this invitation. I'm struggling to believe that life has to come through death. Those different versions of me that have to die daily. That's like every day, daily. That's the struggle. But again, can I also testify that it is worth it. It's so worth it to follow Jesus. It's so worth it to have the Jesus truth, the Jesus way. It leads to the Jesus life. That's on offer for you this morning. Again, if you're not a Christian in the room, good news. You can save, or you can't save your life. You don't have to lead your life, but you can find it, and you can find it in God. You can follow a Savior that doesn't have to be a list or a bunch of rules or a burden, but can be a life-giving relationship this morning. There's a story, comes in the form of a, a novel, which I'll close with this. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But it's a young man drawn to the way of life of an older man. And in it, 
He's so intrigued by this older man. He says, your life seems hard, but I want to be safe too. Is there any other way besides this way you've chosen? And again, I'll paraphrase the old man, but he said, God's path looks like hunger, thirst, suffering, rejection, and the cross. The devil, the world, and the flesh are at the summit. There's two mountains at the summit of a comfortable life. Again, it looks like a comfortable life. That's the temptation. And then he says, you choose. The The boy says, well, I'm still young. The world seems nice. I think I have time to choose. That's the temptation. That's the battle. So we could be here and say, I think, I, I think I'm good. I think I have more time. Comfortable life sounds good. But again, that's the battle. Jesus says, by fulfilling the scriptures, by living the perfect life, by dying in your place, I can also show you a way to life. You can try and find it other places, but you will lose it. Jesus says, trust me that the cross is not foolishness, but it's power. Trust me that self-denial and the age of self-fulfillment is actually the way to find life. And follow me wherever I go. The invitation of Jesus is a thousand daily deaths that lead to a beautiful life. It's so worth it. Even if it feels like in this moment, you're like, this is kind of weird. It feels like losing in the moment. But it leads to life. I was taught this at a young age. That's why I'm sharing this with you. I was taught this at a young age uh, and also many saints in history that I got to read. But I also had an example of it. And uh, I have here with me, if you can see this, a copy of the 1987 version it was given uh, to my dad. And it says, it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship, if you've ever read it. This is basically the sermon. So, there you go. But, in it, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously says this line, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. There's the cross, take it up and follow me. I feel like that's uh, Bonhoeffer's way of saying let's respond. To come and die. Again, I think it's probably a preacher cliche, but it's been said a lot that the trouble with living sacrifices is that they come off the altar. Is that there's a place to lay it at Jesus' feet and to become a living sacrifice, but the temptation is to, to walk away off the altar, to bring it back, to take it back. So the question is this morning, this is how we're going to respond. Is there something that needs to die so that you can fully live? Is there something in your life this morning that you're like, man, I, I think this needs to die so that you can truly find life? Others of you, it could be general. For some of you, it's very specific, and you know. I love what we do here as a church to respond is that we have an altar, and the altar is where you do business with God. It's where you become a living sacrifice and come back on the altar and give it over. So for you, 
That may be you. Your response may be, I need to bring something back over to Jesus, take up my cross, and then follow in a new way, in a fresh way. Others of you, you need to stand and sing your faith. Sing your faith that God is faithful even when we're faithless. That Jesus has been good, that the cross is enough, and it speaks over your life. So whatever your application is, let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to respond. It could be, again, altars open. Jesus says you're invited. And then with one voice, we can sing together. I'm going to take a, take a moment. We're going to create a, some space. We've got time. And let Jesus speak. give the next few moments to you. We put ourselves back on the altar, receiving grace. Thank you for your gospel that shows us the way that you stood in our place and offer us life. We love you.